Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Greg Laurie Podcast, a ministry supported by Harvest Partners. I'm Greg Laurie, encouraging you. If you want to find out more about Harvest Ministries and learn more about how to become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org. Hey, let's have a Bible study together. We're back in the book of Acts in the series we're calling Upside Down Living. And the title of my message is Never Say Never. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Well, it's 2022. Great time to hit the restart button, say goodbye to the past. You know, it's interesting to note that if you're sitting in a car, the windshield is a lot bigger than that rearview mirror. So stop looking in your rearview mirror. Look forward, as the Apostle Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind and pressing forward to the things that are before. A new year is also a great time to recommit yourself to the Lord spiritually. And if there are some of you right now watching me that need to do that, I'll give you an opportunity to do it at the end of this message. But a new year is also a great time to go back to what our priorities are, or at least should be. And I can tell you what your priority should be as a follower of Jesus Christ. Our marching orders are clear. They haven't changed. Uh, now, I haven't read this verse in the last 10 minutes, so unless this verse is no longer in the Bible, here are the marching orders of Jesus to his followers. When he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. So go into all the world, but why don't you start with your world? Here's my word of encouragement for you at the beginning of this new year. Leave your comfort zone and do things you've never done before for the Lord. Take bold steps of faith and let's see what God will do. You know, it's worth noting that the first two letters in the word gospel are go. We need to go. And listen to this. We are the first generation that could literally fulfill the Great Commission. We can actually do it in our lifetime. I don't just mean us going out there and talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. I mean that we leverage every platform for the gospel, every social media platform, every video platform, every radio platform, anything that's out there, we get in there with the gospel and we share it. And with all of this technology that literally spans the globe, we could do this together. So again, as I said, we're back in the book of Acts that we're calling the upside down life. And this is how these first century believers turn their world upside down. In fact, it was said of them, these that have turned the world upside down have come here as well. And this chapter, chapter 10 of Acts, marks a significant change in the strategy of the church. Now the church understands, finally, that they were to take the gospel to everyone, not just to, in their case, fellow Jews, but non-Jews called Gentiles in the Bible. And we're also going to be introduced to a man who was searching for God. I wonder if you're searching for God right now. Maybe you just came upon this service or someone told you to watch it, but you've been searching for God for a long time. Here's the good news. If you will really search for God, you will find him. Because the Lord tells us in the book of Jeremiah 29, you'll seek me and you'll find me if you search for me with all of your heart. So the name of this man that was searching for God was Cornelius. 
Cornelius. He was actually a Roman centurion. And God reached him, but also before God reached him, God had to change the heart of Simon Peter where he had to realize that he was to take the gospel not just to fellow Jews, but to this Gentile, Cornelius, and in this case, a member of the occupying force. It was a big deal to be a centurion, and God was going to use this event of getting the attention of both Cornelius and Simon Peter to come together. God was preparing Simon Peter for this moment. So let's read about it, Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout man. He feared the God of Israel, as did his entire household. He gave generously to charity, and he was a man who regularly prayed to God. Now, let me just interject this. Cornelius did not really have an understanding of who God was yet, but with as much light as he had received, with as much as he knew, he acted on it. He feared the God of Israel. He gave generously to people who were in need. He prayed to God. Let's pick the story up. Verse 3, Acts 10. One afternoon at 3 o'clock he had a vision. And he saw an angel of God coming toward him. The angel said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared in terror. What is it, sir? He asked. I love how he said, sir. I mean, this is a man in power and authority, a Roman centurion, but he sees an angel. He calls him, sir, probably a really good idea. The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have not gone unnoticed by God. Now send some men down to Joppa to find a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a leather worker who lives near the shore Ask him to come and visit you. So Cornelius was a centurion. That doesn't mean a lot to us today, but it was a big deal back then. It was not easy to become a centurion. He would command three to 600 men. Actually, the Roman historian Polybius described centurions as men who were not known to be venturesome daredevils as much as they were natural leaders known for their steadfastness and dependability in the field of battle, end quote. So, so this is a, a very level-headed man. He's an intelligent man. He's a respected man. He's a powerful man, being a Roman. He would be a worshiper of many gods. He was polytheistic, and the Romans worshiped all kinds of gods, from Jupiter to Mars to Venus. And not only that, but they worshiped the emperor himself as a deity. But Cornelius saw through all of that. He knew the answer wasn't in these false gods. He knew that Caesar wasn't a god. And somehow he saw something in the Jewish people that he was ruling over, or at least enforcing the will of Rome on. And he said, there's something about their faith, and that's the god I choose to honor and respect, and to the best of my ability, worship. So as I said, he responded to the light that he had already received. So what happens? An angel comes to him and an angel tells him he needs to get together with a guy named Simon Peter. Now, why didn't the angel just give Cornelius the gospel? Simple answer, that's not the job of angels. That's our job. Again, as I said earlier, our job is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Angels have their own position, but actually this angel is sort of putting things together. 
So Cornelius will hear the gospel from Simon Peter. Uh, we're told in Romans 10, 14, how can they believe in him whom they have never heard? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Meanwhile, in Joppa, here's Simon Peter. He's sitting up on a rooftop patio and it's around lunchtime and he's getting really hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not a good hungry person. <laughs> you know, when I'm hungry, I get a little irritable. I think they call it being hangry. So, you know, I don't like to wait. I like to eat lunch, believe it or not, at 11 o'clock, not 12 or 12.30. I like to eat at 11. And you know, when you go into a restaurant and you, you take your seat, I know what I want immediately. I look at the menu and I, I make my selection. My wife likes to ponder it and think about it and ask like 20 questions. Can you substitute this for that? And could I get extra sauces here? When she orders soup, it's never hot enough. So no matter how hot it is, it won't be hot enough. I'll even say when they bring the soup, why don't you send it back now before you even try it? You know, it's not hot enough. But then there's the issue of just getting the waiter. You know, you take your seat, they show can I get you something to drink? Yes, we'd like iced tea or this or that. And then they disappear and they're gone for like a week. Where do they go? You can't find them anywhere. Then they finally do appear and you get your order in. Great. And you're waiting, you're getting hungrier or in my case, hangrier. And then finally here comes the platter with the food. The waiter's bringing it in. You're very excited. Oh, it goes to another table. That's not our order. Then finally your food comes and it's the wrong order. Or it got cold from the kitchen to your table. All those things are happening. But here's Peter. He's just hanging out and he's getting hungry. And it was probably a beautiful day and the sun is shining down on this great apostle and he falls into a trance. And as we're gonna see, this is all according to God's will. Go to Acts 10, now verse nine. Now remember, God's already told Cornelius he needs to meet Peter, so that part of the puzzle is in place. Now we have to get Peter's attention. Acts 10, verse nine. The next day, as Cornelius' mes messengers were nearing the city, Peter was up on the flat roof to pray. It was around noon, he was hungry. And while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by the four corners and the sheet was filled with all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And the voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Never, Lord, says Peter. I want you to underline those two words, never, Lord. We're going to come back to them a little bit later. Never, Lord, says Peter. I've never in all of my life eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. The voice spoke again and said, if God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. So imagine this. Here's Peter. He, he, he goes into this trance and here's this big sheet, sort of like a sail. Think of a picnic blanket, just really big, filled with all of these critters that the Mosaic law says a good Jew should not eat. And God then says, kill and eat. This would be like a very health conscious person having a sheet lowered in front of them and it has In-N-Out burgers and Chipotle burritos and nachos with extra cheese and, and malts and Italian food or pizza, whatever, lowered in front of you and being told to eat it. By the way, I think I just described all of my favorite foods. Or then again, it might be someone like me having a sheet lowered and it's filled with vegetables and, and kale and <laughs> 
things I don't like. The idea is this was alien. But this actually is not about food. This is about Peter leaving his comfort zone. God was using the food that was in this sail or this picnic blanket, if you will, as a metaphor to say, you need to get out of your comfort zone and reach someone you would not normally reach. And as it turns out, that someone was this man named Cornelius, whose messengers are now coming to Peter's house. I think in the church today, what we're dividing over minutiae, and I think the devil is in the details. I've I know people who've left churches because why well, they're not political enough or, or they're too political or I don't like the way that they're dealing with COVID or, or they have these different ideas about all these things and, and we just get smaller and smaller and smaller and pretty soon it becomes us four and no more and I'm not sure about the rest of you. And I think this is a time right now in the church where we need to stop dividing and start uniting. Let's not let secondary issues keep us from the main issue, which is the gospel, and specifically bringing the gospel to our generation. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, chapter four, verse eight, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, building yourselves together and binding yourselves together with peace. Paul say, make every effort to just get along, to stand together, because when a secular culture sees a divided church, they don't want to hear what we have to say. Let's stand together in this crucial hour, especially as we're entering into a new year. It's interesting, Peter was hanging out in a place called Joppa. Ever heard of that place before? If you know the story of Jonah, you remember that when the Lord came to Jonah and told him to go take the gospel to the massive city of Nineveh, Jonah got on a boat and went to Joppa. You see, he was running away from God. Why did Jonah not want to take the gospel to the Ninevites? Because they were the enemies of Israel. And he thought, well, if I don't take God's truth to them and tell them to repent, then God will judge them. And that will be one less uh, enemy we have to deal with. And so he went in the opposite direction. You know the story, the Lord got Jonah's attention through a great fish that swallowed him that came right on the heels of a storm. So God said, go. Jonah said, no. God said, oh, God will always have the last word. Finally, Jonah repents and he does what God told him to do in the first place. But here's the point. In this place called Joppa, two events happen. In one instance, Jonah is told to go bring the truth of God's word to wicked people and he refuses and he eventually capitulates and not only does he preach to them but they have a great spiritual awakening in that city. And also in this city of Joppa, Simon Peter is told to take the gospel to people he doesn't necessarily wanna take the gospel to, that is non-Jews or Gentiles, but in his case, he does what the Lord has told him to do. Here's something I want you to think about. Would you consider taking the gospel to someone you're not comfortable with, someone different than you? Now let me take it a step further. Would you consider taking the gospel to someone who perhaps has hurt you in life? I have a challenge for you in 2022. Take the gospel to people who have mistreated you. 
I know I'm talking to somebody right now that has been hurt in life, someone who's been ignored, someone who has been neglected. Uh, There's someone that has made your life much harder and, and you're hoping that one day they'll get theirs, that they'll get judged for it. But instead you should be thinking about them and praying for them. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spiritually use and persecute you. I saw an interesting interview the other day with billionaire Elon Musk. He did it with the Babylon Bee. Now the Babylon Bee is a satirical Christian website. And uh, they noticed that Musk followed them on Twitter. So they asked for the impossible and said to him, would you be willing to let us interview you? Much to their shock and delight, he agreed. But he said, you have to come to me. So they went, they sat down with Elon Musk for an hour and a half. They talked about a lot of things, electric cars, space travel. But then they had a conversation about faith. And one of the guys that works there at the Babylon Bee asked Elon if he would like to accept Jesus Christ into his life as his personal Lord and Savior. This is the richest man in the world. This man, I think, certainly is a genius. And uh, they ask him this question. He ponders it. He thinks about it. He says, I admire many of the teachings of Jesus, including turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and forgiving people. And I found that really interesting as this conversation began to open up. And these are admirable teachings of Jesus Christ, of course, that we are to forgive. It's, it's much easier to talk about than it is to do, right? It was C.S. Lewis who said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. Would you be willing to leave your comfort zone and go to a person who has even hurt you? Now, you may know this about me already, but if you don't, Uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. My mother was a raging alcoholic and she was married and divorced seven times. And so uh, this was hard for me as a little kid growing up. And after I came to Christ at the age of 17, I felt led to go back to my mother's old husbands and share the gospel with them. My dad's, if you will. Uh, One was very successful. His name was Oscar Laurie. He adopted me, hence my last name. And Oscar uh, was older when I made contact with him. I had had not seen him since my childhood. He was living in New Jersey practicing law. But uh, he had some heart problems and had blacked out behind the steering wheel of his car and driven into a post. And and his doctor had him on special medication. He He had to exercise every day. Anyway, I reconnect with Oscar, who I always loved and respected because he was the only guy my mom ever married that treated me as a father ought to treat a son. He gave me an allowance. He disciplined me. He gave me fatherly advice. It was really hard when my mom left him and tore me away from him. So I go back to see him. I'm a young adult now. I'm married. I go there with my wife, Kathy, and our oldest son, Christopher, who was just a little boy. And so that first night we were together, we went and stayed at his house for a couple of days. Uh, He had remarried a lady named Barbara. And So she asked me to tell my story of how I came to faith, which I did. And uh, she was very responsive to everything I was saying. And my dad sitting on the other end of the table, remember he's an attorney, felt like I'm in a courtroom giving my testimony. And he he doesn't even react. He just has his hands up to his face. 
listening. I felt like he's the judge and I'm not doing very well. And after it was all over, he said, Greg, will you walk with me in the morning? And I said, yes. And uh, so we got up very early in the morning, six o'clock East Coast time, three o'clock California time. We start our walk. It's very brisk and cold out. He says, Greg, I've been thinking a great deal about what you said last night. I said, right. He said, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior right now. Well, talk about a wake-up call. Boom. I just jolt, was jolted awake and I said, I couldn't believe he said this because I didn't think he was really all that responsive. I told him how to accept Christ again. He said, I want to do it right now. He says, what do I need to do? I said, well, dad, we need to pray. He drops to his knees. We're like in a park. He's on his knees. Oh, I wasn't going to get on my knees, but since he was on his knees, I got on my knees too. I led him in this prayer. And he says, Greg, pray that God heals my heart. I said, well, dad, I, okay, I'll pray. And we prayed he says, I'm going to go to my doctor and tell him I've accepted Jesus and God's healed my heart. I'm thinking, well, we don't know if he healed your heart. No, let's go to him because he's not far from here. We can walk over. So we walk over to this doctor's office, nice Jewish man. My dad walks in. Hey, doc, this is my son, Greg. He's a preacher from California. I just accepted Jesus and Jesus has healed my heart as well. I'm thinking, oy vey. Uh, what's going to happen here? Well, they did tests on my dad. And as it turned out, his heart was healed. He went on to live another 15 years, got very involved in this church. A beautiful story. Redemption from my old life. Well, there was this other guy my mom married, one of the seven. He lived in Hawaii. In fact, after my mom left Oscar, she went to Hawaii. And this is the guy she left Oscar for. This guy was a violent alcoholic. And so him and my mom would drink and get into fights, but I mean real fist fights. And one night he took a wooden statue and hit my mother on the head, knocked her unconscious. I heard this loud thud as her body hit the ground. I came out of my bedroom and there lying on the floor is my mother with blood coming out of her head. He's holding this statue in a menacing way. He says, go back to your bed. It's just ketchup. Well, I knew what it was. And so I, I had a real hardened heart toward this man. So now fast forward many years, I'm over in Hawaii preaching at the Waikiki Shell. And someone contacts me and says, you know, your dad lives not far from here and he's very sick and he might die. Will you go to him? You know what my reaction was? No, thank you. I didn't want to go to him. I didn't want to share the gospel with him. I didn't care about him at all. In fact, I was angry at him still. The Lord spoke to my heart. You go to him right now. So I did. And uh, I told him all about my faith, what Jesus had done for me. He was a very opposite in reaction to Oscar. Oscar embraced Christ. This man wanted nothing to do with it. And here's the point. My job is to deliver the message. God's job is to convert people. But I bring this up simply to say, sometimes God will lead us to leave our comfort zone and go to people we don't necessarily want to go to. So, Look at how the story unfolds. Acts chapter 10, verse 24. So now Peter has left Joppa. He's come to Caesarea. That's where Cornelius was. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for him and had called together his relatives and close friends to meet Peter. As Peter enters his home, Cornelius falls to the floor before him in worship. And Peter pulls him up and says, hey man, I'm a human being just like you. 
Cornelius got up and they talked together and went inside where the others were assembled. And Peter said, you know, it's against the Jewish laws for me to come into a Gentile home like this, but God has shown me I should never think of anyone as impure. And so as soon as I was sent for, I came. Tell me why you sent for me. What a scene. A Roman centurion, remember, a powerful man, a commander of a lot of other troops is down on his knees. This is the occupying force bowing before the occupied. Peter immediately says, hey, I'm just a guy like you, but now I get it. He's putting two and two together. Now I understand the sheet coming down from heaven with all the creepy crawly animals I don't normally eat. It was never about food. It was always about reaching people like you. What a beautiful story this is. This reminds me of a story of a man I got to know very well. His name was Chuck Smith. He left his comfort zone and a revival happened as a result. Chuck once said to me, Greg, everything that happens in life is preparation for something else. You might be going through something right now that makes no sense to you. Why is this happening to me? You're asking God. God is preparing you. God was preparing Peter to meet Cornelius. God was preparing Cornelius to meet Peter. So Chuck Smith, he, he's a pastor of a small church and uh, it's not growing as quickly as he hoped it would. And uh, this is now the late 60s, so the whole countercultural generation is happening and uh, kids are changing overnight. When you go to the early 60s, this is what kids look like. Fast forward a few years to the late 60s. Now this is what the same kids look like. Uh, people thought we were losing our nation. There were riots in the streets and, and these kids were rebelling against society and rejecting all the values that had been given to him. It was actually a very dark time in American history. You think we're divided now. We are. But we were very divided then. So Pastor Chuck Smith saw these long-haired kids. He wanted nothing to do with them, but his wife Kay saw them differently. She saw underneath that hair was a generation of kids searching for God. So she started praying for them. Sometimes she would go down with Chuck to Huntington Beach in Southern California where there were a lot of hippies roaming around and she would just pray. And Chuck really wanted nothing to do with them. He thought they all needed a haircut and they needed to have a bath and get a job. By the way, when I became a hippie, I was a clean hippie. I don't know why. I, I, I even ironed my clothes, my hippie clothes, whatever. So they're praying. They're praying that God will touch this generation. And so they started praying, Lord, we want to meet a hippie and try to understand these people better. One day, a genuine, living, breathing hippie shows up at their door who's a Christian. They start talking to them, and Chuck decides to open up his church to these kids. Now, this was a radical thing to do, uh, but they let the kids start coming in. Next thing you know, there's tons of kids, but the funny thing is that the young counterculture kids sat on one side of the church, and the more conservative, buttoned-up people sat on the other side of the church, and the church is growing. And Chuck is very excited about this. And uh, so they had just laid down some brand new carpeting, green shag, as I recall, which was very big in the late 60s and early 70s. And uh, avocado green, <laughs> to be specific. But anyway, so the kids were showing up at church barefoot. And the elders said to Chuck, well, you can't have those barefoot kids come in the church. They have to wear shoes. So the next Sunday, Chuck was sitting 
in the foyer where people came into the church with a wash basin to wash the feet of the kids so they could come to church. Well, the board stopped hassling them or the elders stopped hassling about that. And then this revival broke out. And in this revival, which was the last great spiritual awakening in American history known as the Jesus Movement, uh, all kinds of amazing things were happening. Thousands of these kids were coming to Christ. I was one of them that came to Christ back then. And a whole new form of music was born called Jesus music. We now call it contemporary Christian music. And contemporary worship was born right before our eyes. And the impact of this movement continued to this day. And by the way, uh, we're going to start shooting a film called Jesus Revolution, God willing, this year. It'll be directed by John Irwin of the Irwin Brothers. It'll be a major theatrical film that will be released in the following year, 2023. But we want to tell the story to a new generation to say God can send a spiritual awakening again. But I brought the story up because this is a guy that, like Peter, left his comfort zone and obeyed God, and the result was thousands of people came to believe in Jesus. So Peter had gotten the memo. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius. Cornelius believes. Imagine if Peter had disobeyed. Peter said, no, I won't do it. It would have changed everything. But because he obeyed, Cornelius was impacted, as were many other people. And even to this day, we see the impact. So Peter's initial response was, never, Lord. By the way, those words don't go together. Never, Lord. No, no. If it's Lord, it's yes, Lord. It's never, Lord. So never say never. To say no, Lord, or never, Lord, is what I would call an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? It's a term that seems to contradict. For instance, jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. How can it be a shrimp if it's jumbo? Or true fiction. Oh, wait, if it's fiction, how can it be true? Or virtual reality. That's very big today with the metaverse. Virtual reality. Well, it's not really reality if it's virtual, is it? How about this one? Civil war. If it's a war, it doesn't seem like it's civil. Deafening silence. How can silence be deafening? Or genuine imitation. This is genuine imitation leather. Well, how can it be genuine and an imitation? Here's a couple more oxymorons. Airline food. Hmm. Here's another one. Government efficiency. (laughs) We don't have government efficiency. And here's one more I'll add to the list. Never Lord or no Lord. If he is Lord, you should always say yes. Yes, Lord. Or maybe how Lord? or when, Lord, or where, Lord, but never say never. Never be afraid to commit an unknown future to a known God. Has God called you to do something, but you've said to him, no, Lord, or never, Lord? You know, Jesus faced this when he was on his way to the cross to die for our sins. In a garden called Gethsemane, Jesus was under such intense pressure Dr. Luke says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. This may have been a medical condition called hematidrosis, where when a patient is under intense pressure and stress, they literally sweat blood, that is, 
blood is combined with their actual perspiration. So Jesus is most likely sweating blood as he contemplates the horrors of the cross. He knows he's going to be scourged. He knows he's going to be beaten. He knows his beard will be ripped from his face and a crown of thorns will be placed upon his head. He knows that he'll be nailed to a cross. But worst of all, he who has never sinned knows he will have to bear all of the sin of all of humanity. And from this he recoils. And in the Garden of Gethsemane he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't saying no, Lord. But what he was saying was, Lord, if there's any other way, let's go that way. And it's not a bad thing to ask the Lord to make the cup pass. And by that I mean, you say, Lord, is there a way out of this? This storm I'm in, could you get me out of this storm? This medical problem I have, could you heal it? And sometimes God will calm the storm. Sometimes God will heal the illness. And sometimes he'll just walk with us through it. And so Jesus knew that this is what he had to do to deal with the sin of the world. Sometimes in life things happen. A loved one will die unexpectedly. I know with COVID, so many have lost their lives and it's so tragic. When we see a young person die, we think this is the worst tragedy of all and in many ways it is. We say they died before their time. Their life was cut short. But I want you to think about this for a moment. No life is an unfinished life. We think success is a long life. Betty White, uh, the comedic actress, just died at 99. Uh, everyone expected her to make it to 100. People Magazine even had an article about how Betty White is now 100. Well, she didn't make it, but she lived a very long life and she's been celebrated in the press for all of her accomplishments and so forth. But success is not merely a long life. Success is a life that is lived for the glory of God. Even if your life is short, if it's lived for God's glory, it's still a success. Stephen had his life cut short, if you will, but his life impacted many. As I've said before, quoting Corey Ten Boom, the measure of a life is not its duration, but its donation. So Jesus prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I don't really want to do this, Father. I don't want to bear the sin of the world, but not my will, but yours be done. And then he went and died on the cross for all of my sins. Every believer needs to say the same thing. All of us should say now at the beginning of 2022, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do with this year? What do you want me to do with the opportunities that are before you? Are you willing to reach out to someone that needs to hear the gospel? Maybe it's someone that's hurt you. Maybe it's even someone you regard as an enemy. But listen, they're loved by God. God loves the world. In fact, he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me come back to Elon Musk. Remember, he was interviewed by the Babylon Bee he talked about how he admired the teachings of Jesus. Then he said, I believe in what Einstein said. And Einstein said he believed in the God of Spinoza. What does that mean? 
Well, Spinoza's theory or idea of God was that God is disconnected from day-to-day life. He sort of established an order in the universe and that's the extent of it. But if I could sit down with Elon Musk or anybody else, I would say, no, God is very interested in our lives. He's interested in the details of our lives. In fact, God has a plan for our lives. He loves us. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 29, 11, where the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Do you have this relationship with God? Do you see God is disinterested, disconnected? Did you know God loves you? Did you know God has a plan for you? Coming back to Cornelius, he was seeking God. Am I talking to somebody right now that has been wondering how they can come into a relationship with God? Am I talking to someone who has just thought about their life and where it's going? Or maybe someone you care about died and it was sort of a wake-up call to you. You wonder, where am I gonna spend eternity? What happens when I die? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? God made himself known to the true seeker named Cornelius and he will make himself known to you. Again, as scripture says, God speaking, those that seek me will find me if they search for me with all of their heart. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. He rose again from the dead and he's alive and he's here with us right now and he's standing at the door of your life and he is knocking and he's saying, if you will hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Would you like to find the meaning of life? Would you like to have the certainty that when you die, you will go to heaven? Would you like to begin a relationship with this God who loves you? If so, I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. And I would ask you to pray this prayer out loud after me, or in the quietness of your heart if you prefer. So if you want your sin forgiven, if you wanna know that when you die, you'll go to heaven, if you want that hole in your heart filled, If you want to find the meaning and purpose of life, pray this prayer right now after me, okay? Pray these words, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. I turn from my sin now and I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer in answering this prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Harvest Ministries, follow this show and consider supporting it, just go to harvest.org. And to find out how to know God personally, go to harvest.org and click on Know God.